I could uh, ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Psalms. Uh, we'll be looking at Psalm 1 this evening. Um, I remember listening to a, a film director being interviewed, and he talk, talked about um, how important it is to begin a film well, and it is important to begin a film well, um, because a film has to begin well to convince you to keep watching it. And um, the same is true of a lot of things. You think about music, you know, a song has about 10 seconds to convince you to not skip it. Um, or you think about a book, it's important for a book to begin well as well. If you've got a book that you open up and it's terribly written for the first 10 pages or so, you're probably not going to keep reading it. And um, that brings us to this evening's text, doesn't it? Because Psalm 1 is how the Lord chose to begin the Psalms. But it's a really interesting thought uh, choice when you think about it. Because many people think of the Psalms as what? Most people think of Psalms as prayers. Psalms is a book of prayers. And many of the Psalms are prayers. And it's not wrong to think of Psalms as a book of prayer. But if you think about it, Psalm 1 is not a prayer. So here's this book that many people think of as a book of prayers. And yet the first one isn't a prayer. Instead, it's a picture. In fact, it's a series of pictures. So it's a really, really interesting way to begin the book of Psalms, Psalm 1. It's a really interesting choice on uh, the Lord's part. And all I want to do this evening is just look at those pictures that the book of Psalms begins with and then think about what we should take from it. So reading Psalm 1. This is the word of the Lord. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Uh, before we turn to the Lord in the text, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, and we ask that you would bless us this evening that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word in Psalm 1, that we might be changed into your likeness, made more happy and holy and humble, and that we may be made to delight more in your word, that you would, through this evening, um, grant that, that we would delight even more in your word, grant that by your grace your word would become our greatest delight, that we might in turn meditate on it day and night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So as I said a moment ago, I just want to look at two things this evening. Firstly, I want to look at the pictures that Psalm 1 paints. What are the pictures, in other words, that the book of Psalms opens with? And secondly, I want to look at what we should take from those pictures. Firstly, the pictures. And there's three I want to look at. Firstly, first picture. There's a picture of a man, isn't there? There's a picture of a man. The psalm begins, blessed is the man. So we're talking about a man here. We're talking about an individual here. But it's not just a picture of a man in some sort of general sense. It's a picture of a happy man. The psalm begins, blessed is the man. This word blessed is a very happy word. It means happy. It means fortunate. One might even say it means lucky. So this is a man. The man in Psalm 1 is a man who has the smile of God upon him. That's the man. And not only does he have the smile of God upon him, this is a man who has a smile on his own face as well. Because in terms of this picture of a man, it's a picture of a man with a passion. That's the picture here. It's a picture of a man with a passion. And it's a very happy thing to have a passion, isn't it? You just think generically, generally, it's a very happy thing to have a passion. It's a very happy thing to have something that just absorbs your affections. Think about what it's like. Think about things you have a passion for. It's a very happy thing. Whatever it is, plants might be your passion. Cooking might be your passion. Books might be your passion. Golf might be your passion. History might be your passion. A particular band might be your passion. Whatever it is, what's it like to have a passion? It's wonderful. You'd love to think about it. You'd love to talk about it. If you meet someone who has the same passion, you'd love to talk to them about it. Uh, You'd love to read about your passion. You'd love to learn about your passion. You'd love to experience your passion. You wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and maybe that passion of yours, it's on your mind as soon as you wake up. This man has something like that. This man has that experience. This man has a passion. Notice the word. Delight. It's a word that means to have a passion for something. Delighting in something, taking pleasure or enjoying something. But notice what this man's passion is. Notice what this man's delight is. Notice the thing that absorbs his affections. What is it? It's the law of the Lord. He loves God's Law. He has a passion for God's law, which is to say he loves God's word. He has a passion for God's word. He has a passion for the Bible. He loves to think about it. When he's doing nothing, he loves to just think about the Bible. 
he loves to talk about it. When he meets someone else who has a passion for the Bible as well, he loves to talk to them about the Bible. He loves to read the Bible. He loves to sit there with a cup of coffee in the morning and just read the Bible. He loves to experience the Bible. He loves to meditate on. He wakes up at 3 o'clock in the morning and it's on his mind. And that leads to another thing. Flowing out of this man's passion is his practice. His practice is to do what? His practice is to meditate on God's word day and night. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now just think about how happy this is as a picture. Imagine getting to indulge your passion day and night. Whatever you have a passion for. Imagine getting to indulge it day and night. Imagine getting to play golf 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, if you have a passion for golf. Imagine getting to read history books 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, if that's your passion. Imagine how happy you would be. People often use the phrase, don't they? I'm living the dream. And they usually mean it facetiously. They say it jokingly. But this man is, in a sense, living the dream. Because day and night, he's getting to indulge his passion. He's getting to meditate on something he delights in. So it's a very happy picture. He meditates because he delights. And he's happy because he delights in the thing that he's meditating on. But then just when you thought it couldn't get any happier, the psalmist adds to this picture of a man a second picture. And it's a picture of a tree. Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. At the bottom of my parents' section is a river. And next to the river is a tree that my parents planted about 20 or so years ago. And they bought this tree for, I think it was about $15, from the hospital section of a garden center. And now, 20 years later, that tree is huge. It's about 50 feet tall, I think, 30 feet across. And when it blooms, it's bright purple. It's the most beautiful tree. And... Um, That's something of the picture here, isn't it? A tree planted by streams of water. And when you think about it, it's a perfect metaphor for the man that we've just described, isn't it? Just like the man's root went down into the Bible and stayed there constantly bringing up all of the rich nutrients of the Scriptures, This tree's roots go down into the earth and stay there constantly bringing up all the rich nutrients of the soil. It's a perfect metaphor for the man. But then it adds something, doesn't it? Namely, fruit. This man's passion for the Bible, which leads to his practice of meditating on the Bible, does what? Produces fruit. So those are the first two pictures. A man and a tree. But then comes the third picture, verse 4. 
The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Notice the contrast. A tree experiences life. It's a living thing. Chaff is the opposite. It's a dead thing. A tree gives life to others. The tree here produces fruit in its season. Chaff is the opposite. It doesn't give life to anyone. It produces no fruit. A tree is stable. After hundreds of storms, it hasn't shifted an inch. Chaff is the opposite. It's at the mercy of the slightest breeze. And that's the picture of the wicked here. They're like chaff. And so the psalm closes, verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now here I want to transition to our second heading. What should we take from these verses and the pictures that they contain? The man, the tree, and the wicked or chaff. What should we take from it? First thing is this. Happiness and righteousness are friends, not enemies. I'll say that again. Happiness and righteousness are friends, not enemies. In fact, they're the best of friends. I love what one man says here. And this is written I think, about 500 years ago. A man named John Trapp. Listen to this. The psalmist says more to the point about true happiness in this short psalm than any one of the philosophers or all of them put together. It's a wonderful line. And it's a true line. It's a true observation. This psalm says more to the point about true happiness than all of the philosophers put together. And we might might say in modern terms, all of the self-help books put together. This is a picture of true happiness. Someone is a picture of true happiness. Here's someone who gets to indulge his passion day and night, night and day, without ceasing. And at the end of that indulgence is what? It's not a better golf swing. It's not just a garden filled with plants. It's not a head filled with knowledge about history. Instead, what is it? What's at the end of that indulgence of his passion? He's like a tree. At the end of this indulgence is life that he experiences. He's stable and steadfast and secure and nothing can shift him. And not only life for him, but life for others as well. He produces fruit in season for the benefit of others. And not only that, not only does he have a smile on his face, not only does he put smiles on the faces of other people, God smiles upon him. He has the Lord's blessing in that. We saw that at the start. And we see that at the end, don't we? The Lord knows his way. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. He loves the way of the man who loves and in turn meditates on his word. There is no better picture of true happiness. I cannot find a better picture of true happiness. Secondly, flowing on from that, first point, happiness and righteousness are friends, not enemies. Secondly, flowing on from that, happiness and righteousness are a matter of the heart. 
what is the root of everything that takes place in this? What's the root of it? Well, in a sense, the root, in terms of this man himself, is delight in God's word. Why does this man bear this beautiful fruit? It's because he meditates on God's word. And why does he meditate on God's word? It's not because it's he has to do it to get through his Bible reading plan in a year. It's not a chore to him. He meditates on God's word day and night because he loves it. It's his passion. It's his delight. He bears this fruit because he delights in God's word. And this is so practical. Think about Psalm 27, verses 3 and 4. I'll read them again for you. We read them for our call to worship. We read them during the Lord's Supper, and I want to read them again. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Again, just think about the fruit in those verses. Such stability, such poise, such peace, such ballast, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. As we said earlier, David looks out, he sees row upon row upon row of tents, and it's an army, and they're coming for him. That's scary. But he says, even my heart will not fear. How does he bear that fruit of peace and poise and stability? Again, it's not because he read a self-help book. It's because he loves the Lord and all he wants to do is gaze upon his beauty. He's not willing up. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. I'm not going to fear. I'm going to keep it together in the face of this army that's encamped against me. He's not doing anything practical to conquer his fear. Instead, that it's just that his heart is somewhere else. It's on the Lord whom he thinks is beautiful. And so he says, all I want to do is gaze upon your beauty. And so he bears this beautiful And so we just need to ask a really simple question. Do you feel that way about the Lord? Do you feel that way about his word? If you woke up in the morning and an army was encamped against you, would you say, all I want to do is gaze upon the Lord's beauty right now because he is beautiful. And all I want to do is go to church and gaze upon his beauty. Or to return to our text, do you feel the way the man in Psalm 1 felt about God's word? Is it your delight? And does that delight drive you to meditate on it day and night, night and day? If you don't, you have a problem. And it's a problem that means that you miss out on the truest happiness that there is in this life, on happiness in the here and now. There is no life happier than the one lived by the man in Psalm 1. A smile on his face, putting a smile on other people's faces, and God's smile upon him. And not only that, you miss out on happiness in the here and after. Because notice, it's only the righteous who endure God's ultimate judgment. And the righteous is defined not by ultimately avoiding certain behaviors, but by delighting in God's word. So do you delight in God's word? Which leads to a final thing to say. Though our righteousness is the friend of our happiness in this 
life, our righteousness is not our hope for eternal life. In other words, it's not the friend of our eternal happiness, if I can put it that way. Because, very simply, our righteousness won't stand the ultimate judgment. Because there was only one man who perfectly did Psalm 1. I said at the beginning that this psalm refers to an individual man, and that man is ultimately Christ. He loved God's word. His Father's word was his delight. But at the end of his life, what happened? At the end of his life, instead of getting the blessing of this psalm, he took our curse. He was treated as though he was wicked, even though he was the righteous man in this psalm. He took our curse. Why? So that we, who don't delight in God's word the way that we should, who don't love the Lord the way that we should, might get his blessing. He earned the blessing of this psalm. And he alone is our only hope for eternal life, our only hope of right standing with the Father. So trust in him and his righteousness alone to save you. Not your righteousness, not your love for the Lord, not your delighting in the Lord and in his word, but him and him alone to save you. And then ask honestly, acknowledge honestly, I don't love you like I should. Grant that I would love you. Grant that I would love your word. Grant that it would be my greatest delight. And thank you that I'm saved, not because it's my greatest delight, but because Jesus died for my sin. Will you pray with me as we close? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're saved because your Son delighted in your word and loved you perfectly and loved his neighbor perfectly. And We thank you that it's his death that makes us right with you. And we pray that in recognizing this, your word would become more and more every day our greatest delight, our greatest treasure, that we would have our eyes opened continually to behold wonderful things in your word, that we might bear the beautiful fruit of this psalm. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.